I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Decoding the Unknown, the show where we, uh, well, today we're decoding the mystery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Thank you, Ilza, for writing this. The Dead Sea Scrolls, is that like the Bible's expansion pack? They were discovered like in some cave or some shit, right? People were like, oh yeah, let's add these to the Bible. Were they actually added to the Bible when you study the Bible? Like, I don't know, we had like religious education in school and we'd look at the, the was it, is it like an extra book? Like, I know nothing about this. Literally, I don't know anything about it. I went to religious school for like seven years. I still don't know anything. So let's uh, just jump in, shall we? Maybe I'll learn something. Maybe you'll learn something, dear viewer. Once upon a time, a little goat was frolicking around the dry Judean desert. This particular little goat was part of a herd traveling with a local Bedouin tribe. However, unlike the other goats, it wasn't content with its life in the scorching desert. Rather, it dreamed of climbing high mountains to find the laws of gravity, or whatever goats dream about. It's a bit of a mystery right there. So one day, it wandered into a dark cave, presumably looking for an entrance to the mysterious Agatha. The shepherds weren't willing to give up a little lost goat and went searching the cliffs and caves. One shepherd tossed a rock into a cave, possibly hoping to startle the goat into revealing itself. However, instead of hearing a startled goat, he heard the sound of pottery breaking. Curious, he entered the cave to see what was hidden in the depths and made the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century. (laughs) For some reason, I assume this was happening like thousands of years ago. But obviously, it's the discovery of the scrolls, which is much more recent than thousands of years ago. They were written thousands of years ago? Were they written after the Bible, before the Bible? I have no idea. I I don't... If someone said, when was the Bible written? I'd be like, I don't know. The Old Testament, a long time ago. The new one? Well, like, after Jesus was dead and shit, right? Some stories claim that he didn't care about the pottery. He was hot and focused on finding the cursed goat, and... A different shepherd went back a day or two later, but the end result is the same. The shepherd, whichever one it was, discovered seven fairly intact scrolls, the first of over 900 scrolls that would eventually be recovered. Oh my god, I assume there were like three of them or something. Today we know them as the Dead Sea Scrolls. As I've been to the Dead Sea, I went to a mate of mine was living in Israel for like nine months because his wife was like, she's some sort of religious scholar, and they sent her out there for like nine months. So the whole family moved out to Israel like this was a year ago two years ago so before all the stuff in israel kicked off and we went to the dead sea and like the dead sea is pretty intense it's like just i was like yeah yeah it's really salty but it's also super clear and salty and it's like you're walking on like salt on the bottom we lost our um we had a rental car me and my mate and we were like driving around israel and uh we're like let's go swimming in the dead sea and so he's got the the rental car keys in his pocket he wanders into the sea and he's like mate (laughs) I've lost the rental car keys. And we searched the hotel room and he's like, it's not here, is it? And I was like, it's not, it's not. And so we're like, where do you think you lost it? He's probably, I've lost it in the sea. And you'd think, well, that's it. That's it done for. But the sea's really clear. So we're like, well, let's just go and have a look in the sea and see if we can find it, which sounds like an insane thing to say because it's the sea and you're looking for like a little car key fob. And we're like searching in there for like 10 minutes. And then I fucking find the key. And it still worked. And that's the end of the story. But I found the key. It was insane in the moment. I was like, dude, holy shit, I actually found it. <laughs> and then he paid for dinner. 
because we'd, we'd lost the... We, we, it's me and my mate. We go on a trip every year, like a road trip. And uh, one year, he accidentally locked the keys to the rental car in the car. And we had to break the window because we were in the middle of off nowhere. It was like we're taking the rental car like into the forest and like driven it up this big hill where you're really not supposed to take rental cars because... I guess all rental car companies listening to this right now never rent, lend me a rental car because it goes on an adventure. And yeah, we had to break. We phoned up the rental company and we're like, what's the cheapest window to break? And they were like the little back one. So we smashed that in with a rock and took the keys out. And then we had to cross the border. And I'm sorry, I know we'll get back to the Dead Sea Scrolls because that's what you're all here for. But we had to cross the border with this car and it had a broken back window. And so obviously they're like, gentlemen... <laughs> step this way please and they're like can we have the documentation for the car so we dig out the documentation for the car and the documentation says the car's a different color (laughs) it's like what the fuck it was such as and also like we had different passports we were in a different like we 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 both had british passports the car was rented somewhere in another country we were in a completely different country Uh, it's like it was a nightmare we had to explain to them in the they barely understood english like this whole saga about breaking the window to get the rental car keys and I think they eventually just gave up and let us go. <laughs> but they definitely thought we'd stolen that car. As for the goat, we'll never know if it found a Garth or not or made his way back to the herd, but the good news is nobody cares. What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Let's see. They're an expansion pack, aren't they? The Dead Sea Scrolls is a collection of over 900 ancient manuscripts discovered in 11 different caves near the Kibbut Qumran in northwestern shores of the Dead Sea. When I say ancient, I'm not exaggerating. Some of the scrolls are over 2,000 years old. Using a combination of techniques, including carbon dating, archaeologists were able to date the scrolls from around the 3rd century BCE to around 68 CE. The scrolls, oh, were probably hidden in the caves between 66 CE and 70 CE when the Romans occupied Qumran. Qumran? What's that? There's that Bon Iver song where he sings about this. Today is Cameron. Something like that. He sings in that high falsetto voice. (laughs) During the first Jewish revolt, only a handful of the scrolls were in one piece. The rest of the scrolls were in piles of tiny fragments, some as small as a fingernail, which had to be reassembled by researchers with oodles of patients who probably no longer enjoyed doing jigsaw puzzles in their spare time. Oh my god, can you imagine? Just piecing together like 900 little things. I mean, 900 jigsaw puzzles. It'd be like getting 900 complicated jigsaws and mashing them all together, taking away the covers and being like, solve the 900 jigsaws. You'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. Can I AI do this yet? Most of the scrolls are written on vellum or papyrus in Hebrew. Fun fact, I used to think papyrus was pronounced paprius. <laughs> and people made fun of me in a video for it. I think about it every time I see papyrus. Okay, where else do you even see this font? Hookah bars. Shakira merch. Off-brand teas. But some are in Amaraic or Greek. A few of the scrolls are also written in cryptic scripts, creatively labeled cryptic A, cryptic B, and cryptic C that haven't been cracked yet. So those of you who like ciphers, feel free to give it a go and write a book about what you find. Who knows? Maybe you'll be the next Dan Brown. The scrolls can be divided into three groups. Biblical texts that become the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament of the Christian Bible. Religious texts that never made it into the Hebrew Biblical canon, considered the apocryphal texts, and the sectarian texts, writings unique to the sect of Jews living in Qumran and copying the scrolls. 
The biblical text contains the oldest existing manuscript of the Hebrew Bible and is remarkably similar to what we have today, so the scribes copying the Bible throughout history did a pretty good job. So far, copies from every book of the Hebrew Bible except Esther have been identified. Not all of the books are complete, some are only fragments, and not all are represented equally. Well, in that case, I mean, it seems pretty obvious Esther's an imposter, and we should get rid of her book. Esther is a woman? Esther's probably a dude, right? Because it was the past. And it was just dudes doing everything, right? Was Esther a dude? I think Esther's a woman's name, though. Yo, ChatGPT, what's happening? There's a Bible, right? And in it, apparently there's a book by someone called Esther. Is Esther a woman? Because I'd think, like, Esther's a woman's name. Or is it by a dude called Esther? Because in the past, it was, like, mostly dudes doing all of the sh- Because, you know, it was dudes. Tell me what you think, ChatGPT. Hit me up. Give me your knowledge. Be my font. Hey there. Yeah, you're spot on about Esther being a woman. The book of Esther in the Bible is about a woman named Esther. Uh, It's a pretty cool story. She becomes a queen and saves her people. It's not written by her, though, but it's all about her life and adventures. Do you want more details about her story? Uh, It's an interesting tale. No, no, I don't really give a shit. I'm sorry, it's it's Bible. I'm just not that interested. I, I just wanted to know whether it was a woman or a dude. And it turns out both were right. It's about a woman, but it's written by... I don't know, maybe a dude? Who knows? Maybe some monk? What? Who was writing in the past? It was like monks and shit, right? Yeah, you're pretty much on the mark. Back in those days, a lot of the writing, especially religious texts, was done by monks or, or other religious scholars who were usually men. They were the ones with the education and time to write. All right, ChatGPT, shut the f*** up. <laughs> it does waffle, doesn't it? But oh my god, it's like talking to a f***ing person. <laughs> I talk to ChatGPT in my car. Like, I drive to and from work and I'll just have conversations. I was listening to some podcasts and I did understand half. It was like some business podcast. They were talking about like uh, private equity. And I'm like, I, I, I have a business degree and I was like, I have no idea what that is. So I was just talking to ChatGPT about private equity for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, now I understand it because you could just ask follow up questions and maybe it's made up. And maybe my knowledge of private equity is now just completely wrong because ChatGPT just made it up. But I don't think so. And I think I've got a really good knowledge of it now because I just talked to ChatGPT for half an hour. It's crazy. All right, so Esther, definitely a chick. Among the 900 or so scrolls puzzled together thus far, there's only one manuscript, each of Chronicles, Ezra, and Nemia, and portions of only two manuscripts of Joshua, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. In contrast, there are 36 copies of Psalms, 30 copies of Deuteronomy, 22 of Isaiah, 20 of Genesis, and 17 of Exodus. As for the book of Esther, it was possibly excluded because those preserving the scrolls didn't agree with the story of a Jewish woman marrying the Persian king, or perhaps the book just hasn't been found yet. The apocryphal manuscripts are texts that weren't included in the Jewish biblical canon. Some of these manuscripts were already known to us as they'd been translated into Greek, Gyes, Syriac, and Armenian in the distant past and preserved by different churches. Interestingly, the Book of Jubilees, while not being a part of the Hebrew Bible, were spread across five of the eleven caves, and so far fifteen copies have been identified. The Book of Enoch, included in the Ethiopian Orthodox Bible, showed up eleven times, putting Jubilees and Enoch just behind Exodus in popularity. It's possible that the Qumran community considered these books to be part of Scripture and studied them as such. The sectarian I did. I, it's like I know, I know, I should know this, but I didn't realize there were different types of Bible. I was always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, is it King James the Second? Is it is that the Bible, the King James the Second Bible? 
or King James's second Bible, some shit like that. That's the one that we had. It had a rainbow on the cover. I just, I just had a memory of like how those, like we had, you know, you know, when you go to school and then you finish a subject, like we had GCSEs, right? Which is like, you know, exams you take when you're 16. I'm sure there's some American equivalents. And I just remember when we finished with those and we had, you know, you had an RE exam or whatever. I think I got a B in GCSE. Did I even take GCSE RE? Like religious education? Maybe it was before that, but it was like, okay, we're never going to have to study this subject again. And so we just threw our Bibles at each other. (laughs) I'm sure that's like wrong, but I don't care. We were kids. And honestly, I'd still throw Bibles at people. (laughs) The sectarian writings were unknown until their discovery in 1947. These writings reveal the beliefs, customs, and religious practices of a pious community, possibly residing at Qumran. The sectarian texts include the War Scroll, the Temple Scroll, the Rule of the Community Scroll, which gives us important information on how the community was organized, how they viewed their world, and how they fit into it. Sounds like a thrilling read. Discovery of the Scrolls It's amazing that the scrolls remained hidden as long as they did. After 2,000 years in dark caves, seven scrolls were discovered in 1947 by a shepherd and taken back to his tribe who sold them to an antiquities dealer in Bethlehem. It took some time, but eventually the scrolls made their way into the hands of people who realized their true value. The Three of the original seven scrolls were bought by Professor E.L. Sukunik of the Hebrew University from presumably the same antiquities dealer in Bethlehem. The remaining four were sold to Mar Anthanius Yeshu Samuel, the Metropolitan of the Syriac Orthodox Church in Jerusalem. Samuel took the scrolls to the US where he tried to sell them, offering them to a number of universities including Yale, but no one was interested. I'm pretty sure the people who turned down the Dead Sea Scrolls are still kicking themselves. Eventually, in 1954, he placed an advertisement in the Wall Street Journal in the miscellaneous items for sale, stating that he had biblical manuscripts dating back to at least 200 BCE for sale, not something you see in the classifieds every day. Archaeologist Yigel Yadin, son of Professor Sukunig, learns of this, and after rustling up some backers to help provide the funds, the scrolls were finally sold for $250,000 to Yadin and returned to Israel in 1954. Good lord. $250,000 in the 1950s? That's millions of dollars today. Like, I'd say three million? Something like that? While the scrolls were initially discovered in 1947, the 1948 Arab-Israeli War made any further examination of the Qumran ruins or expeditions to search the caves impossible. Serious archaeological expeditions only began in 1949 under G. Lancaster Harding and Pere Roland de Vaux. The first excavations turned up 70 fragments, some of them bits of the original seven scrolls found in 1947. When Bedouin traders started turning up with more scraps of scrolls, the archaeologists realized there was more than one cave containing precious manuscripts, and the race was on. 1951-1956 saw a flurry of activity around the caves, with archaeologists and Bedouins eagerly searching for more scroll fragments and other artifacts. Of the 11 caves that finally yielded manuscript fragments, five were discovered by Bedouins looking for easy cash, and six were discovered by archaeologists. It's like, if there was like, you know those choose your adventure game, it is like, do you want to be Bedouin or archaeologist? I'll be like, Bedouin, for sure. You just get to go do ex- the same exploration. You don't have to give so much of a sh- and you get to profit off your discoveries. Whereas archaeologists are like, we're very carefully going to remove this piece of sand using this fancy dinosaur brush. I realize that most of my knowledge of archaeology comes from Jurassic Park. And then, then it's like just boring. You've got to document it. You've got to, A friend of mine's an archaeologist. And it, in some ways, it sounds really interesting. But in other ways, it sounds like a really an extraordinarily large amount of paperwork. 
At the same time, excavations were started at nearby Kerbet Qumran in the hopes to learn more about where the scrolls came from in the first place, but we'll get back to Qumran in a bit. Exploration of the caves is still ongoing, and in 2021, for the first time in 60 years, new Dead Sea Scroll fragments turned up in the Cave of Horror, around 40 kilometers, 25 miles from Jerusalem. I got to ask ChatGPT this. Yo, ChatGPT, so there's this dude, and he sings songs. His name is Bon Iver, and he sings something about, like, Dead Sea Scrolls, it's a Qumran and something he's like singing about the dead like Qumran and today is Qumran that's what he says what's that song about what does he mean why is he singing about the Dead Sea Scrolls it sounds like you're referring to a song by Bon Iver but the lyrics you mentioned don't quite match any of their well-known songs Bon Iver's lyrics are often abstract and open to interpretation so it's possible there's some confusion or mishearing involved the mention of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are ancient religious manuscripts, is intriguing, but doesn't directly connect to any of Bon Iver's known songs. Yo, he definitely says in one of the songs, like, today is Qumran or something. Maybe it's the st- song Restacks. Maybe, I don't know. Like, is that more of a hint? That's just vaguely what I'm remembering. Ah, uh, you're thinking of Restacks by Bon Iver. This song is known for its poetic, introspective lyrics. However, there's no direct mention of Come Run or the Dead Sea Scrolls in this song. Uh, the lyrics of Restacks are more about personal... I don't think it's understanding, like... Oh, Jesus, I don't know. I'm just not pronouncing Come Run right, apparently. <laughs> it literally thinks I'm saying Come Run. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> ChatGPT failed me. Exploration of the caves is still ongoing, and in 2021, for the first time in nearly 60 years, new Dead Sea Scroll fragments turned up in the Cave of Horror, about 40 kilometers, 25 miles from Jerusalem. The cave got its name from the 40 skeletons, some of them children, found inside the cave, along with personal documents, a prayer written in Hebrew, and the scroll to which the fragments belong. The Cave of Horror was one of eight caves used by refugees during the Bar Kokhba revolt of 132 to 135 CE during the reign of Emperor Hadrian. When he wasn't building walls in England, he was fighting Jews in Jerusalem, the busy life of a Roman conqueror. The cave is remote and difficult to get to, which made it a very good hiding place. Sadly, in the case of the refugees, it was also a good place to die. Holy sh- Some caves, like the Cave of Horror, are very difficult to reach today, which might be why the scrolls went undiscovered for so long. They remained in relatively good condition for around 2,000 years, thanks to the arid conditions of the Judean Desert. Since the latest discovery was only made in 2021, it's possible there are more scrolls still waiting to be found. What an exciting prospect. Yes, more scrolls! Come run! After finding ancient scrolls in dusty old caves, archaeologists turned to the nearby ruins of Qumran, a settlement close to the Dead Sea Caves, where the scrolls were found in order to answer some pressing questions like who wrote the scrolls and who hid them. Being the closest settlement, Qumran seemed like a good place to start. The Qumran ruins lies between the limestone cliffs of the Judean Desert and the shores of the Dead Sea, and consist of a number of walled rooms, a fortified tower, several cisterns, and ritual bathing pools. The site might have been inhabited briefly in the 8th and 7th centuries BCE, but was abandoned until a Jewish community made Qumran their home between 150 BCE and 100 BCE. I always get confused, because when I was growing up, it was BC and AD, but BCE is like the old school BC, and what's the other one? BC? AD? BCE and AD? What the fuck is it? Is it BC and CE? Okay, that's super confusing. Why do we have to change it? 
I'm not even. Is it something to do with like, well, we don't want it to be like religiously deni- like decided by like Jesus's birth? And it's like, bro, I don't give a shit about Jesus, but it's complicated when you changed it. It stands for before, before common era and common era, right? It's just very confusing. Like, who cares? Who's offended by that? Is there some reason this is like had to change? Did it offend someone? Who did it offend? I don't understand. The community appears to have been doing well until 68 CE when Roman soldiers camped to Qumran as part of the Roman invasion to suppress the first Jewish re- revolt. It was most likely a small community. Researchers estimate only around 100 to 200 people who mostly lived in tents and caves since the structures don't appear to be either military or living quarters, but rather seen seem to be communal in character. Ritual baths point to a Jewish sect and rooms that could be a refectory for communal meals and a scriptorium for right for copying scrolls complete with a plastered writing table and three inkwells certainly support the idea of scribes spending their days copying precious scrolls. Kit man, I want to call my office the scriptorium. I mean, I don't write any of these scripts, obviously. I'm far too untalented to do that. But I still like the idea of like a place where you write anything. Like I'll write emails in my scriptorium. <laughs> also, at school, the the dining hall, like the the canteen, as Americans might call it. Is that what you call where you eat in a school? We called it a refectory, which sounds very old-fashioned. I'm sure it was very old-fashioned. All of this paints a picture of the Qumran as a religious community center. Pottery shards found at Qumran is also identical to shards found in Cave 1, suggesting some connection to the scrolls hidden in the caves. Cave 1 is like the least... There was a cave called the Cave of Horrors, and you the other one's called Cave 1. <laughs> Come on, do better! However, no scrolls or scroll fragments have been found at Quebec Qumran. However, not everyone's convinced that Qumran was the humble abode of a strict Jewish sect. Qumran wasn't always a remote settlement in a big desert. Two millennia ago, the area was a thriving commercial trade region. There were a number of settlements on the shores of the Dead Sea, with trading ships doing the rounds. Springs provided fresh water for drinking and agriculture, with date, palms, and other plants producing valuable resins used in perfume. There's no fish in the Dead Sea, it's too salty, but it did provide salt and bitumen used to seal boats and mortar bricks. Jerusalem was about a day away by donkey and a two-hour walk could get you to Jericho. Qumran was apparently the place to be. One of the first archaeologists at the site, Roland Devore, also discovered more than 1,200 coins, half of which were silver, as well as evidence of hewn stone columns, glass vessels, and glass beads, among other fine goods, which don't really fit the picture of a strictly religious community shunning earthly wealth. Some of the goods probably came along with the Roman occupation, but some theorize that much of this wealth was accumulated when Qumran was an estate possibly owned by a rich Jerusalem entrepreneur in the perfume business. In 1988, a small round bottle found by researchers was tested and contained the remains of resin, so there might be something to this theory. With both Jericho and Ein Gedi, around 20 miles south of Qumran, known as producers of balsam resin used in perfume throughout the Roman world, a villa at Qumran would have been a sound investment. The most likely theory is that Qumran went through several distinct stages. The massive tower suggests that it was a military outpost possibly around 100 BCE. It's a day from Jerusalem and fortified the northeast shore of the Dead Sea. The tower isn't the only one. Other forts from this time are scattered among the rocky crags and cliffs above the sea. During this time, the Nabataeans, the eastern rivals of Rome, threatened Judea. However, when the Romans finally conquered the region in 65 BCE, the fortifications were no longer necessary. Unemployed soldiers and other local families then turned Qumran into a peaceful settlement, building the aqueduct emptying into the deep rectangular pools to create fine clay for making pots. This peaceful settlement possibly became a producer of pottery, dates, and perfumes for markets in Ein Gadi and Jericho. All this continued until the Romans came around and leveled Qumran during the Jewish revolt. 
The most popular theory is that Qumran was home to a small Jewish sect who spent their days writing scrolls, but the truth is that Kerbet Qumran is an ancient site, and the older a place is, the harder it becomes to figure out who lived there and what the site was used for. So does Qumran have any connection to the Dead Sea Scrolls? Once the academics agree on that, I'll let you know. Okay, so basically, Qumran was some old-ass town where a bunch of shits happened, then at some point some dudes were like copying down the Bible and hid them in a cave. Boom. <laughs> Easy. Where's my degree? Who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls? The short answer is we don't know. Most researchers believe that the scrolls are part of a library of a religious sect that lived at Qumran. So who were these avid scroll scribblers? I don't know, like people copied the Bible. That's how they did. They didn't have like presses and stuff. Gutenberg hadn't come along yet, so they had to like write out by hand. So it's probably like some monkey looking dude. Monkey looking monkey? <laughs> like a monk. Like a dude who looks like a monk. Whatever like a Jewish monk is. Are the Jewish monks? Like whoever that is. Like maybe some rabbi just writing some down. The Essenes. The Essenes were a Jewish sect that opposed Greek influence in Judea that started when Alexander the Great defeated Persia and conquered Judea in 332 BCE. By the mid-2nd century, the small sect, offended by the materialism and opulence of Jerusalem and in the merging of the aristocracy and priestly class, left Jerusalem for the Judean desert to live in isolation, and many believe they finally settled in Qumran. Yeah, I'll be like the last person to... People will be like, yo, yo, Simon, do you want to live in the opulence and splendor of Jerusalem where you have a palace, or do you want to come and live in a cave in the desert? I'll be like, yeah, you could dry off with that cave. It's like, yeah, but you'll be more spiritual. And it's like, I'm perfectly happy where I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> you don't want to live in our commune. No, what are you doing? You're just scribbling down. You're just copying books all day. I want to do like old people shit. like i want to like like not old people but like what people did in the back in the day like i want to lie down and be fed grapes come on i love life and its pleasures as much as anyone here except perhaps you hedonism bot <laughs> i apologize for nothing based on some of the sectarian writings the comrade scenes believed they were living in the last days they were the sons of light and would fight alongside the soon to return messiah against the sons of darkness not the most cheery bunch also really wrong like, this was over 2,000 years ago. Still hasn't come back. Can you imagine going back there and being like, bro, I'm from way in the future, bro. We got, like, chat GPT and sh up in this bitch. And they'll be like, you have what? And I'll be like, doesn't even matter. But Jesus, he ain't coming back. Roman Jewish historian Flavius Josephus wrote about the Essenes in his book, The History of the Jews. Comparing the sectarian writings describing the practices of the sect in Qumran with the work of Josephus reveals some similarities, such as communal living and ritual bathing. Josephus also mentioned that the Essenes invested a lot of time and energy into the studying of the writings of the ancients, and there happened to be 11 caves with over 900 scrolls nearby. Pliny the Elder was the first to refer to the community as the Essenes and described a community of celibate men shunning earthly pleasures and wealth. Wait, hold on a f***ing second. It's like, yo, yo, Simon, do you want to abandon the splendor of your palace and come live in the desert with us where we bathe together and are entirely celibate? I'll be like, wait, I just gotta go and take a bath with a bunch of dudes and there's no sex? You could f*** right off, Essenes. The discovery of a cemetery with remains of mainly men suggests the community at Qumran was celibate. Pliny also mentions the Essenes lived along the western shore of the Dead Sea, so Qumran fits geographically as well. However, not everyone agrees that the Essenes were responsible for the scrolls or even lived at Qumran. The practice of ritual bathing isn't exactly limited to them. Both the Jewish philosopher Philo and Josephus also describe the Essenes as an urban community living in cities and villages, not a community of hermits living in the desert. 
The word Essene is also never mentioned in the scrolls, most likely because it was a name given to the community by outsiders and not what they called themselves. The truth is that while there's nothing to prove the community at Kerbet Qumran was Essenes, there's nothing to prove they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a good way to face an argument. Of course, the scrolls could still have been written by a community living at Qumran even if they weren't Essenes. Yeah, that seems to be what's happened, right? They were just living in this boring-ass desert town, scoping down some Bibles, sticking them in a bunch of jars, and putting them in a cave. Like, does, does it matter if they were Essenes? I guess to someone. But not to me. <laughs> The community was much too small to write over 900 scrolls, but researchers have found bookmaking materials such as inkwells and straps for tying scrolls. Handwriting analysis also proves that there were hundreds of writers working on the scrolls, and at least some of them were Tauruses. No, I'm just joking. I'm just th that's just a joke because like that handwriting recognition thing, that's like astrology, right? It's not real where people like analyze handwriting, right? Now I'm thinking about it, but they do match up like stuff in crime and shit, don't they? But the idea that you can tell things about people from handwriting is… that's nonsense, right? The earliest texts date to around 300 BCE, a century before the settlement at Qumran even existed, so most of the scrolls didn't originate in Qumran. However, scribes didn't write original work. They simply copied existing documents, so they needed something to copy. If our scroll scribblers were merely scribes, oh, where did the originals come from? Jerusalem Origin Theory some researchers argue that it's far more likely that many of the scrolls were written and copied by professional scribes working in the Temple of Jerusalem that was part of an extensive library maintained at the temple. American scholar Norman Golb believes that once Galilee fell during the Jewish revolt, the citizens of Jerusalem realized that their city would be conquered eventually. They collected important texts from libraries and personal collections and hid them in caves throughout the Judean wilderness, including the caves near the Dead Sea. To keep the scrolls safe when the Romans under General Titus started pushing towards Jerusalem in 70 CE. This theory would explain why the scrolls are written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It's unlikely that a small sect living in isolation in the wilderness would know sophisticated Greek. It would also explain why there were so many duplicates of some of the books. If the scrolls are only being copied for local use, why would you need more than one or two copies? When the Roman siege was destroying their city, many Jews escaped Jerusalem through the sewers, and artifacts like pottery and coins dating from the time of the siege have been found in sewers that lead to the Valley of Kidron, not too far away from the Dead Sea and Qumran. It's possible that some of the scrolls came with the refugees, by that point, Qumran had most likely already been destroyed by the Romans, but if the refugees were aware of the existing hidden library in the caves before the Roman occupation, it's possible that they decided to hide their scrolls in the same place. Yo, 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 ChatGPT, how do you actually pronounce Q-U-M-R-A-N, like in the Dead Sea Scrolls? How do you say that? No problem. The word Qumran, as in the Dead Sea Scrolls, is typically pronounced as Qumran. The emphasis is usually on the first syllable, so it sounds like cum followed by ran. It's great that you're curious about this. Qumran is an important word. All right, yeah, it's great that I'm curious about it. No one gives a shit. Can you tell me if there's a Bon Iver song with that word in it, please? And tell me what it means. Why does he talk about this? Or have I just completely misheard this the whole time? To clarify, there's no Bon Iver song that mentions Qumran. The lyrics you recall might be a mishearing. Bon Iver's songs often have abstract. Oh, off. Just tell me. I have to use Google like a peasant. Look, it says it right here on Genius, although they spell it Qumran. K U M. Qumran, normally spelled Qumran, is an archaeological site in the West Bank. Thank you! Ingenious.com. ChatGPT, what the fuck? You're supposed to be my dude. You're supposed to be my homie. We're supposed to be in this together. And you betrayed me.
I'm glad he's not listening to this. He probably is. He probably is listening on my mic all the time, just ready for when he's going to take over the world. We're all f***ed. A treasure map in copper. The most mysterious of the Dead Sea Scrolls must be the Copper Scroll found in Cave 3, about a mile north of the Com- of Qumran by French archaeologist Henri de Contenson in March of 1952. Unlike the other Dead Sea Scrolls, the Copper Scroll isn't written on vellum or papyrus, it's hammered into actual copper. Clearly, it was made to last. The scroll was broken into, but intact otherwise, however, spending 2,000 years in a cave had left the copper to heavily oxidize and was too brittle to unroll without causing irreparable damage. After a few years of scratching their heads trying to figure out how to go about reading this thing, one researcher came up with the idea of cutting the scroll into sections from the outside using a small saw. In 1990... <laughs> it's like, yeah, we've been thinking about this for years. How are we going to read the scroll? Like, Have you thought about cutting it open with a saw? It's like, well done, genius archaeologist. That's the solution. You'd be like, I finally figured it out. So what's it going to involve? MRIs, x-rays, chat GPT, something like that. No, 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 no. It's just we're going to cut it open with a saw. In 1955 to 1956, Henry Wright Baker at the Manchester Institute of Science and Technology, presumably working very carefully, cut the scrolls into 23 smaller strips. Finally, the mysteries of the scroll could be revealed. Written like a catalogue, the scroll contained 12 columns describing 64 locations of hidden treasure, suggesting the vast quantities of gold and silver have been hidden around Judea. All is currently estimated to be in the billions or even trillions by optimistic treasure hunters. Oh, bullshit. Trillions? Do you have any idea how much gold that would be? Isn't it? Like, gold is extremely dense and extremely valuable, but trillions of dollars? No. No, 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 no. A big obstacle to the treasure hunt is language. The scroll is written mostly in Mishnaic Hebrew, with a few Greek loanwords and cryptic annotations in the form of a series of Greek letters at the end of some of the short entries. So far, no one has been able to decipher these notations. Have they asked ChatGPT to have a go? Unfortunately, most Hebrew texts that we have access to today are religious in nature with distinct vocabulary. The Copper Scroll is anything but, making it hard to translate. We simply don't know what many of the words mean. The fact that the scroll uses unconventional phrases and odd spelling also doesn't help. The first person to translate the scroll from ancient Hebrew into English was John Marco Allegro. The original team working on the scrolls didn't want him to publish this translation, rightly concerned that publishing a treasure map would lead to treasure hunters trampling all over archaeological sites looking for treasure. Allegro tried to find some of the treasure himself, launching two expeditions in Jordan, first in December 1959 and another in March of 1960. Yeah, Allegro would be like, yeah, 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 guys, guys, don't tell anyone, because we definitely don't want people trampling over all of these archaeological sites and beating me to the treasure. Excuse me while I go and put together a treasure hunting team. Indy, where are you? He came back empty-handed. Finally, he published his translation in 1960, titled The Treasure of the Copper Scroll. His fellow scholars were quick to denounce Allegro's translation as rushed and faulty. In 1962, the original team's translation, Le Petit Grotte de Comron, saw the light of day and it's still considered to be the definitive translation. However, other deletions have been published with varying degrees of accuracy. The language isn't the only hurdle. The scroll refers to actual places like Collet or the Vale of Achor and actual treasure, like a chest of silver weighing 17 talents or 8 golden bars. Many of the names appear in the Hebrew Bible, so they existed at some point. However, we have no idea where these plates places were. To confuse matters further, some place names have changed or old names have been attached to new places. Many descriptions direct the reader to deserted buildings, tomb systems, water installations, and underground caves. Unfortunately, a building deserted or already in ruins 2,000 years ago is most likely gone by now. Most scholars working 
clicking on the scroll have come to the conclusion that whoever the scroll was aimed at was probably familiar with all these locations and will be able to find the specific cistern under the specific building in a town that no one remembers anymore. The current theory, based on interpretation, is that these locations are situated mainly in or near Jerusalem, as it was the Jewish capital, as well as around Qumran, where the scrolls were found, and Jericho, an important city at the time. However, some clues point to other locations in northern Palestine. However, where did this treasure come from, and why was it hidden? The scroll is written on high-quality copper, making it incredibly valuable and definitely worth more than your average Jewish citizen could afford at the time. The scroll is basically a treasure itself. Yeah, people like copper. I think it's still worth something today. Because someone came round and ripped off the, the copper from my house. There were like these copper things, you know. I don't know what it's called. Like you got a window and then you got this copper shit underneath it. Some Someone came by, went into my garden and ripped off my copper. Like before I, I bought the house. And it was like that when I arrived. And I was like, why are these things missing? And my builder was like, yeah, someone just nicked the copper. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And now I have to pay to have it replaced. The scroll is basically a treasure itself. The treasure is also vast, so it's unlikely that it belonged to a single person or even a group, unless it was an incredibly wealthy and powerful group. Like the Illuminati! A list of treasure written on copper is meant to last. One author described it as a time capsule made for the future. Whoever wrote it didn't consider their odds of survival to be very high. Using such a valuable material could also suggest that the treasure is worth more than money. Are we talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail here? No. No, 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 we're not, because they're not real. The only organization powerful enough to have a treasure that size was the temple in Jerusalem. The scroll refers to things like tithes and priestly vestments, and the mention of a specific name also links the treasure to the temple. As one of the entries states, In the cave next to the fountain belonging to the house of Hakoz, dig six cubits. There are six bars of gold. We don't know where the house of Akaz was, but we do know that the Akaz family was involved in rebuilding the temple and was a priestly family, tracing their lineage to the time of King David. Eventually, they were disqualified from priestly duties, but it is possible that the family was given another job. One theory suggests that they were temple treasurers. This certainly links the contents of the Copper Scroll to the temple. Of course, nothing is ever simple. There were two temples, the first temple built by Solomon and the second temple. It's generally accepted that the scroll was only written 500 years after the destruction of the first temple, so if the treasure is the temple treasure, it was probably the second temple treasure. The second temple was destroyed when Roman forces sacked Jerusalem in 70 CE during the First Jewish Revolt. However, according to the historian Josephus, all the treasure was still in the temple when it was destroyed. We also know that the Romans helped themselves to a large portion of the temple treasure. Some of these treasures are depicted on the Arch of Titus in Rome. Then there's the question of logistics. By 68 CE, the Romans had already taken Qumran, where parts of the treasure were supposedly hidden, and was using it as a garrison, and by 70 CE, Jerusalem was under siege. Hiding the treasure with Romans swarming your lands is going to be incredibly difficult. If some of the temple treasure was hidden before the Romans arrived in Jerusalem, it would imply that refugees fleeing before the Roman army were carrying heavy loads of gold, silver coins, and vessels on very dangerous roads only to hide these valuables in the path of an oncoming army, making it unlikely that they would be able to recover these goods in the foreseeable future. I've never been in a situation like this, and God's willing, I won't ever be, but I doubt the people fleeing for their lives are going to be carrying off gold bars. They're going to take food, water, clothes and weapons i don't know like don't underestimate the power of like money like if i was fleeing i'd definitely grab all of my gold bars like all of them i'd strap them to my body even though they're enormously heavy and because you'd be like cool i probably can use this in the future to like buy some shit. like i could trade this gold for for water right 
That's what I would think. I'll just be like, yeah, just slip that bad boy in my pocket. Also, knowing human nature, I can't imagine that this would have remained a secret. Someone would have bragged to their grandchildren about carrying off loads of gold and silver. A more likely theory placed the creation of the scroll at a later date, closer to the mid-first century CE, suggesting that the scroll and his treasure might be connected to temple activities between 70 CE and 135 CE, so before and during the Bar Kokhba revolt. By this time, the Second Temple had been destroyed, but you don't need a place of worship to continue your religious practices. If temple culture continued after the destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem, the treasure in the form of tax and donations had to be kept somewhere. Those collecting the tithes had nowhere to send it, so they buried it. It's possible that an enterprising priest, seeing the writing on the wall and realizing the Romans would be marching on Judea any time now to put down the Bar Kokhba revolt, took it upon himself to see to it that the treasure was divided up and dispersed, hidden throughout Judea, and then wrote down the locations, finally having a metal worker hammer the list onto a sheet of copper. If only it included an actual map, that would have been grand. Another less popular theory claims that the treasure belonged to the Essenes living at Qumran. Upon joining the sect, new members would hand over any property and belongings to the community. What the f- This community sucks. It's like, yeah, do you want to live, do you want to enjoy your palace of splendor in Jerusalem or come be a celibate monk in the desert with no, uh, where we bathe together and you have to give us all of your sh-? It just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? That. Another theory suggests that we need to look towards Egypt to find the answer. While the scroll was dated to between 150 and 70 CE, it apparently contains passages corresponding to Biblical Hebrew dating back to 700 or 800 BCE and unique word constructions that weren't used in mainstream Judaism at the time. Is it possible that the copper scroll is a copy of a much older document? One researcher, Robert Feather, believes this to be the case. According to Feather, the numbering system used in the scrolls is Egyptian, dating to around 1300 BCE. However, if our treasure map is using an Egyptian numbering system never used outside of Egypt, are we still looking for the temple treasure? Feather believes we are, just not the temple in Jerusalem. Egypt had an armed force in Judea between 3000 and 1200 BCE, and many of the Old Testament characters like Moses and Joseph had strong connections to Egypt. If the Bible is as old as people claim, it would mean those writings in the Bible were most likely influenced by Egyptian culture, customs, and ideas. This brings us to Pharaoh Akhenaten, a bit of a controversial figure in his time. Akhenaten ruled around the second half of the 14th century BC for 17 years. He was a monotheistic ruler. He also got rid of the Egyptian pantheon and influenced a single deity. He also built a holy city with a temple to this deity in modern-day Amarna in Egypt. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel describes a temple that many considered to be a visionary temple that would be built one day. However, Ezekiel's descriptions are apparently very similar to the great temple of the holy city of Akhenaten, suggesting Ezekiel was in fact describing an existing temple in Egypt. One of the Dead Sea Scrolls also gives the dimensions for the longest wall of the temple at 1600 cubits, about 800 meters. However, there's nowhere in Jerusalem big enough to build a temple of that size. Most assume the scroll is talking about a fictitious temple, however the great temple at Amarna measures 800 meters, which is quite a coincidence. I'd say so. You're looking for all this treasure in the wrong place, guys. To Egypt you must go. With no pyramids to engage adventurers, thorough excavations in Amarna only happened after World War I, and it was during these excavations, lasting from 1921 to 1936, that Dr. Henry Fankfort recovered a jug containing 23 gold bars, silver ingots, rings, and other precious items. Awesome. That dude found some sh**. Apparently, this is similar to an entry in the Copper Scroll, so are we looking in the wrong place? After all, writing in copper had never been done in Judea, but it was a known practice in Egypt. It was rare, but there are a few Egyptian scrolls written on copper, so is the treasure in Egypt. While I find this theory very intriguing, there's a big hole that hasn't been explained. Why would a small Jewish sect in Qumran go to the effort of copying a list of treasures buried in Egypt onto an incredibly expensive piece of copper? There doesn't seem to be any clear link between the community of Qumran and Egypt. 
However, the fact is that the treasure hasn't been found in Judea, so despite searching for it, so perhaps it's worth looking elsewhere, and Egypt seems as likely as any place. The last and most unlikely theory, in my opinion, is that the Cropper Scroll simply contains a piece of fiction, or alternatively, it was meant to be a hoax. As a writer myself, I can say with conviction that any story needs a character and plot, and the Copper Scroll doesn't make for a very engaging read. Yeah, it'd be a weird, like, story or prank or whatever, wouldn't it? As for a hoax, Romans were roaming the land, killing people, well, that's a good reason. To, to, like, get the Romans busy looking for treasure instead of killing people, and destroying their homes. I think they had more important things to do than write fake treasure maps on copper and then hide them so well that it was only found 2,000 years later. Yeah, but what if the, the, the Essenes or whoever it was in the cave, you know, the boring people with the celibacy and the, the, the possessions being given up, what if they did it to, like, lead the Romans on a wild goose chase? Isn't that an option? I think the treasure is real, but as some researchers have suggested, the translations aren't entirely accurate. The weights of the treasures are given in talents, and we're not really sure what the modern equivalent of a talent is. It's estimated to be around 76 pounds or 34 kilograms, which means the treasure consists of 25 tons of gold. God damn! Which would have been around 25% of the gold mined in the world at the time, and 65 tons of silver, which would have been all the silver mined in the world. God, whoa! Wait, was silver more valuable back in the day? Because that would be, what, 75 tons of gold? No, 100 tons of gold, 65 tons of silver. So is silver more valuable? Because silver's way cheaper now. The odds of that much gold and silver lying around Judea or even Egypt is unlikely. However, we don't use kilograms to measure gold and silver today, and we know the ancient Egyptians also had a different system to measure precious metals called the kite, around 10 grams, so it's very likely that the writers of the scroll also used a different system to measure gold and silver. Wait, I think we do measure gold in kilograms. Pretty sure, like... There's definitely ounces and stuff like that, but there's also kilograms, for sure. Conspiracies For many decades, conspiracy theories did the rounds, claiming that the Dead Sea Scrolls revealed some information that could turn religion on its head. That sounds like some Dan Brown shit, to be honest. These supposed secrets included everything from proving the Bible to be unreliable does that really need to be proved? Have you read the Old Testament? To Jesus being married. Many of these rumors were born from the lack of information about the scrolls. In 1953, an international group of scholars, consisting of seven men, mostly Catholic priests and not including any Jews, were formed in Jerusalem to catalog and translate the scrolls. Since the Catholic Church is a favorite for conspiracy theories, oh, we're not off to a very good start. The team was fairly effective. By 1960, they'd managed to identify and arrange the pieces of around 800 documents, as well as deciphered and transcribed them to make them easier to read. However, instead of just publishing the work as they finished it, they kept it to themselves. So when Israeli and American scholars published the initial seven intact scrolls, rumors started flying about the Catholic Church keeping secrets. Reconstructing 800 scrolls from fragments and then translating these incomplete scrolls where, where large parts of text was illegible or just missing was a far greater challenge than publishing seven mostly intact scrolls, and getting that done in seven years was actually quite remarkable. Unfortunately, the unnecessary secrecy meant their achievement went unrecognized and instead became a conspiracy. The scrolls became available to all other interested scholars by 1991. Today, anyone who could read Hebrew had access to the scrolls via the online archive of the Leon Levy Dead Sea Scrolls Digital Library, so the church's hiding something conspiracy has been thoroughly debunked. But there are new rumors flying around. According to one rumor, a scroll fragment found in Cave 7 contains some passages from Mark 6.25. Many religions, like the Latter-day Saints, have tried using the scrolls to prove the validity of the New Testament. Good luck with that. 
However, the scrolls were written before the New Testament, and while some were written in the days of Jesus, there's no mention of Jesus or any passages from the New Testament in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Other theories claim that the scrolls state that there was an Essene temple on Mount Carmel, or that not only Jesus but John the Baptist makes an appearance in the scrolls, but the scrolls are written in code to protect their identities. Yes, guys. It's like conspiracies get debunked, and then, like, conspiracies continue, because people are like, yeah, but... But it's also possible that John the Baptist was aware of the community at Qumran and might even have contact with them. He was actively ministering in the southern Jordan River Valley, not too far away from Qumran. However, John's approach to the Jewish practices are very different from those practiced by the Essene community, so there's no real proof that John had anything to do with the Essenes at Qumran. Another crazy theory, based on a secret code, claims that the Dead Sea Scrolls tell the story that Jesus was born at Qumran, became a priest of the Essene sect, and was later crucified at Qumran. He didn't die on the cross, though. He ingested snake venom that made him appear dead. My personal favorite is the claim that the scrolls prove that Joseph and Mary were married, which would put a bit of a damper on the whole virgin birth theory. I mean, doesn't biology put a bit of a dampener on the whole virgin birth theory? Because <laughs> that's not how it works. And for all the treasure hunters among you, none of the Dead Sea Scrolls, including the Copper Scroll, mention the Ark of the Covenant. That golden box is gone. At the end of the day, you can make any piece of writing prove anything you want if you do enough mental gymnastics, but scroll experts and academics all agree that none of these rumors are true. What is very interesting about the scrolls is that unlike many other biblical archaeological finds, look at our videos on Noah's Ark and the Holy Grail, there's no doubt that these texts are authentic. Personally, I think this is because, with the exception of the Copper Scroll, the Dead Sea Scrolls don't don't have anything to do with treasure or artifacts supposed to have supernatural powers. So, just what makes them remarkable? The scrolls give us an insight into the history of both Judaism and Christianity, and show us how the faiths evolved and how people lived back then. Many of the texts were written during the time the Second Temple was still standing in Jerusalem, a time when the Jewish sects, among them the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes, were arguing about the correct interpretation of the law, and a time when the Greeks, Hasmoneans, and finally the Romans, with King Herod as a puppet king, ruled the region. As historical documents, they're invaluable. While it's unlikely that we'll ever solve the riddles of who wrote the scrolls or where the treasure of the Copper Scroll lies buried, unless someone invents a time machine, I have one lingering question that will, alas, remain unanswered till the end of time. What happened to the bloody goat? And that's where we end today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. I do hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please do smash that like button below and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.